Hello and welcome to our podcast. Um, we are reading through the Bible, through the book of First Samuel, and today um, I am here with my friend Peter Turnell and my friend Dave Winfield. And we're going to be thinking a little bit and sharing together about stuff that's to do mainly with the first book of Oh, so we, we're here and we're going to be thinking a little bit today about the uh, book of Samuel, the first book. And I just wanted to start by um, giving a few um, kind of sentences about First Samuel. In the old manuscripts, First and Second Samuel stand together as one whole unit. And I think it's only the Septuagint who and makes the first attempt to divide those two groups uh, into two groups. Uh, but also where it, where it fits historically, we've just finished reading the book of Judges. Samuel is um, basically coming in the light of the history of the, how many, two, three centuries of Judges reigning in Israel. And uh, he's being called by God and he's serving as a prophet, he's serving as a judge, he's serving as a, as a leader, as a priest to the people of Israel. And actually, the book of First Samuel revolves actually this around three characters. It's Samuel, to start off with, then we've got Saul, and then we've got David. So I think I just don't want to take more time with this but I just wanted to ask um, you both what's been striking for you uh, this time as you have um, studied as you have prepared as you have delivered as you have read and enjoyed first Samuel for yourselves okay well in a nutshell three things have struck me um, the authorship of the book has struck me and left me with some questions. Um, David's behaviour on his uh, expeditions amongst the villagers has left me appalled and um, with lots of questions. And the, the raising of, of um, Samuel has left me with questions about spiritual realms, which I don't think we think about very much. Yeah, great, thank you. How about you, Eden? <coughs> I share all those um, and with the authorship I think I've been more impressed with um, in the sense that it's made an impression on me the way the story is told and how some you know a few times I felt like I was reading the same thing told twice and I thought well is this you know a case of double tradition you know two competing traditions brought together things like that um, were there two traditions of David meeting Saul? I think a lot of scholars would say yes, but stuff like that has been more obvious to me on this reading. Yeah. I, for me, it's been interesting because uh, everybody knows, even from Sunday school and uh, lessons from child, the call of Samuel. Mm. But what has been really striking for me this time is that actually... Samuel is called by God to judge Eli. And we don't talk about that in one sense, because 
Eli's behavior and his son's behavior was appalling, really, in that sense. And and yeah, we, we try to 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 talk about or try to think about um, Samuel's calling as a as a, a young lad mm -hmm. for a particular thing, but it was actually for judgment of Eli and, and the family and uh, he was the, a, the sons. He was a young lad, wasn't he? And he said it in his innocence when he said it. What struck me about Eli was he recognised the validity of it and yes. acknowledged it. Yeah. Mm. yeah, That's another part of the story that has struck me um, afresh is that is the cause it's easy to focus on the the change from no monarchy to monarchy but actually there's a big change in the priesthood that goes on mm. uh within one samuel and really comes uh to fruition in um i think one kings and i've made a bit about it in in a couple of my videos because it's just important to see where it's happening and and it really begins with Yes, this Eli and, and Samuel um, section, although it's not Samuel's prophecy, it's the man of God's prophecy that specifically talks about the downfall of his priestly line and its replacement mm -hmm. um, by the Zadokites. Yeah. And so, as I said earlier on, it revolves around Samuel, Saul and David. And I think we've covered a little bit about Samuel's uh, role in this and um, he's got he's got a very important role in in all of this and I think it's the first book of Samuel uh, that records his death as well so it's coming uh, it's bringing that as you said to a closure but uh, let's let's think a little bit about Saul what's what do we make of him because I've been struck by it, but uh, I'm happy for you guys to contribute a little bit, and then I will uh, I'll give what I think I've been struck by. Well, it. I'm, I'm curious because you said you felt sorry for him. I did feel sorry for him. It's not. It's not. Um, yeah, when we were preparing, I did say I felt sorry because I think he God allowed him to be king because people wanted a king like the other nations. So, so God allowed for Samuel to anoint him as king. And that anointing came with a package of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's very clearly in 1 Samuel that the Holy Spirit departed from Saul. The thing about Saul is when you first meet him, he's a very humble man, isn't he? Yeah. Very tall and he's hiding away. He doesn't want to be... He doesn't want to be called out and noticed. But later on, <clears throat> when he becomes king, I suspect, <coughs> excuse me, I suspect that jealousy gets involved uh, when he sees David's success. Later on, he gets jealous. And Paul tells us, or is it James tells us, where, where there's um, selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, every kind of evil follows. And I guess... He started off very humble but became very jealous and that's where it all went wrong for him. And then I look at his daughter um, that he gave to David later on, we haven't read it yet, but yeah. uh, look at his daughter and I'd say uh, like father, like daughter, like daughter, like father, really is. Mm. Yeah. 
Have you got anything to say about Saul? I, I agree that there's, there is a pang of sympathy for him. I'm, some sins in the Bible that people do, I think I would not, I, I can't imagine myself doing. Um, they seem very far-fetched or stupid or, or something. But with Saul, it's not really like that. I mean, the, the, um, so first of all, I think it's in chapter 13, he sacrifices, um, he doesn't wait for Samuel. Samuel's yeah. too long in coming and he's, he says he's worried the people will disperse, so he sacrifices by himself. And that's the first note of judgment. And then it's really um, uh, taken away from him when he doesn't kill all the Amalekites. Um, and it's it takes some kind of thinking about, or, or it does for me anyway, to really dig into what's going on there, what is so offensive to God that makes him so unsuitable that he regrets uh, choosing Saul, because it's easier to understand, as I said in my video, um, the horror of David's sin later yeah. on with Bathsheba and um, Uriah, her husband, plus some of the other stuff that we're going to talk about um, in 1 Samuel. So, yeah, thinking about Saul's character and what it was that made God reject him, whereas he doesn't reject David despite some of the things he does, is just, it's not, it's not obvious to me. It takes some thinking. Yeah, I mean, Dave, you made the point earlier on that I, I made the, the flipping comment saying that Saul, unfortunately, was the worst king mm -hmm. of uh, the Israel. And you said, no, he wasn't. No, it, it was Manasseh. It, it was Manasseh. Yeah. And that, that is true. But there was a difference with Manasseh, wasn't it? Well, Manasseh afterwards repented, didn't he? Yeah. And astonishingly, for all the, the horror of his wickedness, he found forgiveness, didn't he? Yeah. And reinstatement. Yeah, so so I, I think, for me, I say I feel sorry because I think he started with the Spirit of God. And what a waste to be doing your own thing when, when you've got... And I think, although that was not God wanted Israel to have a king over them, he allowed that. And I think if Saul would have carried on with that awareness of... God's serenity and power and protection, uh, like we see it in David, that even though he's failed, he, he's come back to that awareness of who God is and how he puts his trust in him and how he's expressed that in Psalms. But but I think, yeah, I just think what a shame. I, that's what I feel for, for Saul. What a shame that you, you, he had that opportunity to lead the people um, because God's spirit was upon him um, and he had the priests around to to console mm -hmm. and he didn't make use of those uh, God-given um, opportunities to be leading the people of Israel. I, I tend, I like David, I can relate to David. because You're a bit biased as well, aren't you? Well, yes, because he's a great name. But <laughs> I, I relate to him because he did some awful things. Um, like you mentioned, you know, this Bathsheba and Uriah and stuff that he did. 
But afterwards, he came back and he seems absolutely genuine. He says, against thee, the only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And there is a man who can do wicked things and yet suddenly comes down and he can be absolutely gutted with himself and, and ashamed before God, which is different from Saul, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. What's, what else is good about David? I mean... There, there are the pros. I mean, there is the ups and downs of his life, really. But what, what is what, what is good about David? I love the way um, that twice he saved Saul's life when his own troops said, he's, "Look, God's delivered him into your hand, and forbid it that I, I forbid it that I should take the life of the Lord's anointed." He had that awareness. Mm -hmm. And yet the guy was trying to slaughter him. Yeah. yeah. I think that's... I was trying to put my finger on it for the video because uh, I commented on that, how impressive I thought that was. He seems to have some kind of respect for God, some kind of sense of the um, the sacred, like uh, like a priest in the, in the temple or something like that, that he just kind of won't go near it. It's just unthinkable that he could... Uh, you know, touch Saul because because of the power behind it. Because he just has such a huge respect for God, <laughs> and it comes out as well with the with the Goliath episode because um, he knows that Goliath must die because he's a, he's insulted Israel's God, and and there's there's no other answer for that. And God will defend himself, or he you know he will empower someone uh, who will step up. So he he does seem to have this very deep respect or reverence for god um so that he, so that he won't even touch the person who's trying to kill him who could kill him yeah yeah one thing that i have appreciated uh, from reading afresh david about david is actually reading psalms that go alongside the particular passages that we've been reading through first samuel and those little titles on the top of the psalm that say, oh, this psalm was written when David was uh, being um, chased chased yeah. by uh, Saul in the caves, or this was, you know, when we talked about David and and um, Bathsheba yeah. and uh, Uriah, Psalm fifty-one. We both have quoted. You both have quoted that. It's so I really appreciated that kind of. Yes, we know that these are the songs. Of the king, the 150 songs of Psalms, but it's coming to a new appreciation to say, well, actually, he's messed up, but yet there's this awareness that he puts his trust in God, although he's totally uh, messed things up. He's totally mm -hmm. done things on his own um, esteem and he's done on his own devices, and now he's come to this awareness that he's let God down and he wants to to uh, come back to that. Um, well, we're gonna, uh, there was another episode about David I wanted to talk about, and um, uh, just quickly, which was I've been really impressed again. I keep using that word impressed. Uh, I've been really struck by his uh, leadership qualities, and my favourite of his. Um, great leadership qualities that we haven't come to yet it must be in 2 Samuel but it's where he's out in the wilderness again and he's thirsty and he 
asks, oh, he sort of out loud says, I wish I could have a drink from a certain um, water source, I can't remember. And um, two of his men overhear this and they think, right, um, we can do that. So they sneak down through an enemy camp mm. and get this water and bring it back to him. And instead of drinking it, he pours it out as an offering. Mm. And I love that because the way I interpret that is he counts himself not worthy to drink the water that his men risk their lives to get. Now, if it was me, I'd have drunk it because I'd have been afraid <laughs> of offending them because they went to all that effort. Yeah. Um, but he realises something deeper. He realises that if he drinks that water, he says, I'm worthy of your two lives to go and get this water. Mm. And he won't have that. Do you think he offers it to God? Um, I haven't read it in a while. I would imagine so. Um <laughs> I don't know, but just the, just the insight, the or or, or maybe it's just instinct to him. It runs so deep in him. He just thinks, um, I'm not worthy of this, that he can't drink it. Um, I wouldn't have been so great. <laughs> mm. I, I can imagine that if I'd have been one of the men, being me, I'd have been offended. But yeah. I guess they wouldn't have been. I don't know. Maybe they were at first, and then they realised what he was, what he was doing. I don't know. But but there was something unique about David's humaneness. Even even when he was being chased for his life, he's in is he in Moab, and he finds shelter for his family. He makes sure that they are safe in that mm. sense. So so there is that element of awareness uh, that although he he. A while ago, he could slay a giant because he's he's um, offending God. At the same time, there is that awareness that actually he's looking after. It's, it's interesting that he sent them to Moab, though, isn't it? He had relatives there, didn't well, he? Well, yeah. Well, his That's great where... mother or yes. great grandmother was from yes. Moab. Yes. So yes. it's yes. but but even even though he he went to the Philistines back mm. with his uh, mercenary soldiers. So in, in that sense, he had those connections somehow. Mm -hmm. And even there, I mean, I know he played the, 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 the fool there, but it was a great escape, I'd say. But that's the other side of David, which I can't, I can't really get my head around. I think he was a devious so-and-so sometimes and, and a murderous man. I mean, when he was staying with Achish of Gath, yeah. he went on raiding parties, didn't he? Mm -hmm. And he was, we know, we know from checking it out that he was raiding villages that were loyal to Akash and then pretending that he was doing something different. But so the news didn't get back to Akash, he was killing everybody in the villages. Yeah. Everybody. And I can't, I'm a living 2022 and I can't sit down and say, oh, that's okay. I, I want I want to send him to the Hague, yeah, as a war criminal. You know, and I don't think he'd have got away with it these days because while he was doing it, somebody would be, be streaming it on on Facebook. He'd never have got away with it. But I want him to face uh, criminal charges at the Hague for what he did. And then I remembered, well, hang on a minute, it's only nineteen forty nine. 
2000 or more years later that we finally got around to validating the Geneva Convention. And so it's taken us a very, very long time to think differently, hasn't it? And I guess that in his day, he would never have been arrested because all the nations around about were doing exactly the same kind of stuff. But it doesn't make me love him anymore when mm. I see him do that stuff. I feel, mm. I've, I feel, I wish they hadn't given me this chapter to do. Mm. It's a chapter I would never have wanted to preach on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but on the other hand, I'm so pleased that we've said this with other difficult passages, haven't we, that I'm so pleased that the Bible does not shy away from That's true. this horrendous, um, gruesome, unacceptable, unpalatable uh, situations for our eyes. Mm. But yet there is uh, an acknowledgement and we also need to bear in mind here that this is a group of people who have had the opportunity to live for God, to live as a set-apart nation for God. And the way that they are so messed up in the way that they are behaving is because they've put their backs um, against God and they're, they're not pursuing him. But, but nevertheless, the scripture is not just giving us the... The, the Hollywoodian perspective of no. uh, flowery things. It's, this is raw. And, and it is raw, and it just makes God's end of the covenant all that more astonishing, yeah. doesn't it? That he has made a covenant with his people, and for all their wickedness, he hasn't reneged on the covenant himself. Yeah, extraordinary God. God, you're extraordinary. Yeah, and and also we we touched a little bit on the authorship in the beginning. I think it will be good to to finish with, with that whole idea that actually the way the book is written, the way the the stories are compiled, they're not in the same way that we would expect to write an essay in the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, I said to, to you earlier on, I was, I was preparing this week for my videos and I came across one of the commentators said that when you come to 1 Samuel, uh, take it as if you're watching a film that is giving you a snippet ahead of just unfolding the, the, the full story. So it's going ahead with some stuff and then bringing you back to that. So, I mean, I don't know. Have you got anything to contribute towards the authorship, the, the way that it's written, the way that we can understand it as Westerners better? Um, yeah, I, I, there's a point in the narrative where the author um, gives a throwaway comment of his own. It's got nothing to do with the narrative at all. Akish gives Ziklag to David. That's the narrative. And then the author suddenly says, um, and so it's been in the hands of the kings of Judah to this day. Well, the kings of Judah, when David was king, he united the tribes as one united nation of Israel. 
When Solomon was king, they were a united nation. There wasn't Judah, there wasn't Israel. When Rehoboam followed Solomon, there was a clash for the kingdom and the kingdom split up. That's when kings of Judah started. And this guy writing, writing 1 Samuel is saying, in the hands of not the king, but the kings of Judah. So it's written a long time after the events, which then, but you were telling me about oral tradition and, and how, and I'm thinking they've taken the oral tradition and committed it, shall we say, to paper so that we have it now. But oral tradition was highly, was, what were you saying earlier? Yeah, it would, um, oral tradition is something that we just can't really process, I think, in the West and in the modern West, especially these days where, you know, we've got iPhones and we don't have to remember anything at all. Um, but in uh, cultures that still exist today, uh, oral tradition is still evident and it works in various ways. It can be used for memorizing a whole body of information or, or um, thousands and thousands of proverbs, but it can also be used for uh, communicating stories about a community that really express its identity, you know, where they came from, like how the Exodus functioned, uh, still functions for uh, the Jews. And, but it could also be used to process current events. So if there was a tragedy or some other political thing, um, a tradition would be shaped very quickly about what had happened. And in the formation of that tradition, a community judgment about it uh, would be made. And um, there was a scholar, he just recently died, I think either this year or last year, Kenneth Bailey, and he lived among these communities in, I think, southern Egypt. And uh, so he has he wrote two articles which have lots of anecdotes and, and insights as to how these cultures uh, functioned, how they told their stories, who was allowed to tell them and the way they could tell them. And basically the upshot is, is that oral tradition is amazing and um, the idea that people can't remember things very well and memory is can be tricky. People can remember events very differently, but oral tradition isn't isn't quite like that. Mm. And so on by repetition as well, I guess. Yeah, repeated from generation to generation. And there are authorized tradents. You know, not anyone is allowed to. He gives the example of of this one community where somebody had had grown up in the community and knew all the stories backwards like anyone else, but they, because they weren't from it originally, they weren't authorised. So certain people who uh, obviously were talented in the telling and specially trusted, I, I can't remember if they were trained or not, but if ever a trade in, in the community telling of a story uh, missed out, they could emphasise some bits, change others, whatever, but if they missed one of the core points of the story, one of the main beats, then the rest of the community could object and correct them. So the whole community, even though there were certain responsible people, had their own responsibility in preserving it as well. And it was very accurate and would persist over hundreds of thousands of years with great accuracy. And I think the other thing, as we were talking about earlier, is that it wasn't just oral tradition, 
as there were there's numerous references in the Old Testament to books. Samuel writes one. Um, we got the books of Yasha. We got the books of the Wars of the Lord, uh, Chronicles, things like that. So they were, I think there was probably a mixture of oral and written sources that somewhere late on, either in the exile or afterwards, were compiled as probably they felt this was a really good time to make sure these memories were protected and organised, as well as understanding the national identity of Israel as it had just been through a huge crisis. Yeah. I think that was a, a key impetus for putting it all together. It's worth mentioning here that we will attach those links on the description of the podcast so you can read those articles as a bedtime story. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> we, we, We've come to the end of our podcast here, but is there anything that we as 21st century believers can take away from reading 1 Samuel that would be helpful uh, for us to continue our life of worship, our life of discipleship? For me, Samuel doesn't appear in 2 Samuel at all. Uh, but the kings, David appears in 2 Samuel. And the whole of 2 Samuel being about David, it's Samuel who taught David what kingship is all about, which, I, which is why I think it has his name. Because David's goodness, when he was good as a king, was down to the teaching that Samuel gave him. And um, the teaching and the passing on of God's word is what strikes me from this, which is why I think Restore 2022 is very good. Because Paul told us that we should um, preach the whole counsel of God. And <clears throat> actually, we're dealing with all kinds of stuff most of us preachers would miss out. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with the value of that. You have to cover sections of the Bible you wouldn't, you know, wouldn't fancy looking at normally. And I think that's really healthy and, and goes back to what you were saying about um, the value of the Bible in that it doesn't shy away from certain things and we we forget in our comfortable western lives that there's a lot of horror and chaos out there and there are people in different countries with different histories who would say yeah the bible looks a lot like my world or my childhood and and better reflects reality for it we we live i think in our world in quite an unreal um cosseted uh, fictional kind of um, reality and the Bible is a strong and often difficult uh, taste, you know, pill to swallow uh, but it's, you know, it's good medicine um, I love David, I think he's just great and yes, we, we've got some real problem passages with him that I don't have answers to but I love his concern for the honor of God and his interest in God his personal relationship with him and how he just wants to know what he should do and uh, with regards to God he, he for all his faults he seems so so God focused and God interested I don't know how to put it better than that it's yeah. it's great I think that's what I've taken that it's very obvious what it means 
to rule under God's serenity, under God's power. And it's so, it's such a good prompting to look forward to the royal house of David with a new Davidic king, which we find in Christ. And he comes as a king, which is totally shocked to the system, to everybody who's waiting for this kind of rule, because they, they, they come with the baggage of the history and they see in Jesus, actually, this king is going to, to love his people. He's going to love his people to the point that he's going to go to the cross. Mm. He's going to go to the grave. He's going to be resurrected in order to give uh, the, these people life. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't send Uriah to death. He goes to death himself. Yes. And the other thing is that he's coming again as a king mm. to establish his kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and with that note, we close, we finish. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Dave. And God bless you for all you do. Grateful for your ministry also with the videos and for your contribution today. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you too.